From technology and acquisition to citizen services and mission execution, a culture shift is underway with federal government leaders increasingly seeking out solutions that disrupt the way business has traditionally been done. Here we connect with those government and industry leaders driving this change and delivering the real results in support of their agency mission. This is Keeping IT Brief. I'm being joined today by Donna Knutson, the Associate Director at GuideHouse. So, Donna, thank you so much for joining me today. Now, it seems like everyone is trying to figure out how to best leverage data and technology in healthcare today. What's on the mind of public health agency leaders? That's a really good question. And I just want to preface by saying, remember that, you know, public health Reporting data to the federal level is really relies on voluntary reporting to the feds from the states. So because we had our 13 colonies before the United States, we have very much of a a voluntary goodwill kind of reporting system for state agencies to report up to the feds. So when we we're talking about what is on the mind of the public health agency leaders, Right off the bat, you know, we've had quite a, you know, a a spell in the last two and a half years. What public health agency leaders right now are thinking about is how do they gain back the trust of the U.S. population to make sure that we are providing um, actionable data for people to use on their own without causing a lot of doubt. And there was a, a survey that was done by Harvard. School of Public Health, as well as the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials and the National Association of Public Health Information Coalition. Now, these three groups got together and looked at and surveyed 4,000 adults to find out who they trust. The first survey showed that 94% of the people that they interviewed trusted their doctors a great deal or somewhat to convey recommendations to improve public health, improve health in general. Public health as an entity did not even make that list. CDC was the only agency that was listed as a trusted source with only 37% of the people interviewed saying that they trusted CDC a great deal. The least trusted then were also looked at, and that's where our local public health departments and our state public health departments actually ranked as least trusted. They had less than 26% of those interviewed saying that they trusted them a great deal. With this being said, that means that we've got a lot of area here that we have to make up if we want people to trust the systems that are going to keep the populations healthy. Our goal here then for our uh, communication aspects are really how how do we provide actionable data that communicators and health officials can use to support their communication efforts? And I've got a few thoughts on that. So first off, what we're trying to get to is offering a transparent metrics-based approach to build trust. It's complicated, though, because we have a fractured, undervalued health data system. Tom Frieden, who was the director of CDC for eight years, testified in front of Congress in March of 2021 that said, and he said, a lack of accurate real-time information was one of the greatest failures of the U.S. response to the COVID-19 pandemic. With that being said, we do have a few next steps that can be identified. First off, we really need to look at continued investments in state, local, and tribal data systems and modernization efforts. But we also need a continued federal commitment. Um, We also need new tools that go beyond our traditional public health surveillance of morbidity and mortality. 
And I think those are the things that are really on the minds right now of the agency leaders. So now where do you see IT modernization strategies fitting in with these outlooks? Well, actually, we do have a lot of strategies that fit very well. And these were um, capsulized in an article that Deidre McPhillips wrote for CNN in February of 2022. Very first to start off is really defining the data priorities. During pandemic, we pulled data from multiple reports And we tried to create comprehensive data sets, but we did not have robust standards and consistency at the federal level or at the state and local level. If you remember, Johns Hopkins pulled together the the map that has been viewed over a billion times where it showed all the transmission rates per county. And what was anticipated was that the federal government would be able to pick up that data source and continue to publish those maps. And it took quite a long time for the federal agencies to be able to do that. Some of the reasons why that that happened is there's little agreement on what metrics are best. So for instance, are we looking at metrics by person? How many times did an individual get tested? Are we looking at test results? Even if individuals were tested many times, were their test results the data that people were looking at to provide to the rest of the public. What type of test? Are we looking at PCR tests or are we looking at antigen tests? All of these were different in the, in the systems that were being kind of curated to c- create that map. We also are trying to look at hospitalizations. That's where public health gets a lot of their uh, information from the, the start. But were we looking at hospitalizations that were specific for COVID or were we looking at results of COVID testing from people that were in the hospitals for other reasons. So I think that there was a lot of, there's a lot of room to help us with defining data priorities. The next thing that a strategy that I think would fit in really well is this idea that we need to speed up data reporting. Once we get the best metrics and those are established with their definitions, we'd really like to reduce the steps necessary to validate data and sending it to the federal agencies. In this article, Ms. McPhillips indicates that sometimes there may be up to six steps involved before a state can send a data point to CDC. Many of these steps are manual with a a lot of follow-up because the information is not necessarily complete when it comes in. And we saw this also when people were coming in through our borders at the airports. If they were ill, they had to be turned over to the state and local officials for tracking and monitoring. However, the data that we were getting at airports was not complete. It could just say this person lived in California as opposed to San Diego, California. That makes it very difficult then for the states to grab that information and be able to make sure that they are quite certain that they're tracking the patterns and the isolation and the um, you know quarantines of the individuals as they were coming in. We also have to understand a little bit more about the state laws regarding data collection and release. For instance, in Texas, there's a state law that you cannot release county-level data outside of the state, which means that one of the most populous states in the U.S. was very reluctant by law to turn in information about their county residents. Lastly, I think we need to coordinate our response better and really, again, have more complete data turned in initially. We don't have a federal integrated record system. And we really do need to reduce the manual entry and the repeated efforts for quality control once the initial data is turned in. Uh, There needs to be just a, a better way to make sure that as the data are being turned in, that they are as complete as possible. 
Lastly, I think we really do need to add more complete data to systems to reduce the incomplete records. Incomplete records really became a problem, particularly when we were looking at race and ethnicity. Those items were missing from a lot of records, and I believe that the United States missed a lot of uh, good intervention opportunities because we just didn't see that view of the data that were coming in because it just wasn't there. I think those strategies fit in very well with the outlooks that, that the public health officials are thinking about right now. Okay, so now what do you think are the top three things that leaders should be doing right now? That's a pretty good question. I'm in the middle of all of this right now with the data monitorization work that's going on at CDC. And the first thing is to collaborate to reach the goal of this interoperable, accessible data. Again, we need nationwide standards for data submission. That's not only how the data are moving through the pipes and the tubes to get to where it needs to go, but it's also how can it be unpackaged once once it's there? How do we know that if you've called this A, you really mean that it's A, not A minus or A plus? Uh, we need to really get to the data definitions and agree what those are. What are we looking for? How do we find it? What's the most reliable source? How do we change our forms so that they're easily filled out by public health and healthcare so that they are meaningful all the way up the line? And again, just to reiterate, understanding the state's rights, federal needs, and privacy issues. What type of data and at what level can it be transmitted so that people are protected and their private information is not easily traced back to them as we're looking at these data and pooling them? The second thing I would say is that we need to move to rapid data analysis and the ability to gain real-time insights. Public health you know, tends to look at lagging indicators, you know, for instance, diagnosis, perhaps, or even mortality. What we need to do is be able to move from being reactive to being predictive. And there is an investment that's going on right now at CDC to create a center for forecasting and analytics. And they are really trying to move from, you know, an an epidemiologist having their own data set to data scientists working with epidemiologists to figure out how best to anticipate where to really focus the next set of interventions to prevent illness rather than just to track illness. We do need to modernize some outdated data systems, specifically looking at ways to be able to triangulate information. So if I'm an individual and I go to an optometrist, I go to an internist, and I go to my regular family practitioner, Those are three separate data points that often reside in different silos. We have to be able to modernize this information so that it can be transformed and transferred so that we get a whole picture of what my health looks like right now from all these other sources. The third thing that I would say is a top thing that leaders are thinking about right now is really this idea of continued long-term investments to pair information collection and transmission from the healthcare settings to public health. I started my career in public health in 1985. We've been working on this since I've been uh, employed in public health, and it's very difficult. If you think of the 3,500 local health departments, and you think about the 50 states, and you think about a federal agency, trying to get everybody on the same page is a huge effort. But I think we need to still do that, and we can't do that without investments. So non Traditional data like pharmacy information and travel patterns, 
those are other things that public health has to start to look at so that we can get in front of these issues rather than stand behind and watch them take place. We also have to think a little bit about how do we combine those untraditional data with traditional data that public health collects, like lab results, deaths, and diagnoses. We also need to understand that the healthcare workforce has taken quite a hit in the last two years, as has the public health workforce. We have to understand that there's just going to be missed data. My brother works at a hospital system in West Virginia, and they do not have the capacity to see as many people as they had prior to the pandemic. They don't have the nursing staff. They don't have people to care for the volume of individuals that needed health care prior to the pandemic. So if they can't bring them into the hospital, that, that data are lost, and we don't know what's going on with those people. And lastly, I would say that we really need to understand a way to put more value on the public health workforce and understand how the healthcare sector and the public health sector are very different, but they're complementary. Both of them need to be restored to the high value that they were bringing to the country prior to the pandemic with the respect that that is deserved for the work that they're doing. And I think that is the last thing that we really have to think about is how do we get these long-term investments, including investing in, in new types of workers, data scientists. Like I said, we, we have a lot of epidemiologists, but we don't typically employ data scientists in the public health, local, state, or tribal level. So we do need to make some investments and make public service attractive again for people to think about that as their career choice. But I think those are the top three things that leaders need to be doing now. This is really good, important information. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. So I I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Donna. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. For more podcasts by G2 Exchange Media, please visit www.fedhealthit.com and look for the podcast section at the top of the page. Music by Jam Studio, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated.